0: VideoLand was a student project. It was called Project 2000. They wanted to play video games and they had a very old token ring network. Everything crashed after 50 seconds, but the demo was 45, so that was fine. A few guys said, well, you know, maybe other people care about this VideoLand streaming project. Yeah, I was mostly doing networking and streaming, and but I was not coding, right? 2006, another internship that was also extremely boring. And that's how I started to actually code a lot. I'm glad you were so bad at picking internships. The problem is, what do I watch and how? I'm working for the project around that an aggregator around videos. Everything you watch, whether it's legal or illegal, gets added to your profile.
1: I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the DeMux Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of VideoJS, the open source video player. And I'm Phil, the director of Media Technologies Engineering at Bright Cove. Previously, building BBC iPlayer in London, and you're listening to Demuxed, a podcast for and by engineers working with video. Demuxed is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. We're always looking for topics, so if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at demuxed. Hey everybody, welcome to Demuxed. Uh, today we have JB Kempf from the Videoland team. Uh, really excited we were able to get him in person uh, following uh, FOMS and DMUX. So thanks for being here today, JB. Thanks for having me. Uh, so real quick, uh, today Phil and Steve couldn't join. So again, we have Nick joining us, Nick Chadwick. I'm very excited. This is the second time. I think I'm, I'm going to become a regular, I can tell. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's the accent factor again. Mm-hmm. So JB, why don't you give us a little background about yourself? Um,
0: so, I'm a French engineer. I'm 34 years old, I think. Um, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, um, I'm the president of the VideoLand nonprofit, a uh, nonprofit organization I was created in 2008. And I've been working on video related technology since 2005, or even, maybe even before. I'm a developer, obviously, a, a geek. And uh, I have now a startup around uh, video technologies. I had no idea you had a startup outside of VideoLand. Yes. Well, what is it? Or that you can talk about, at least, I guess. So Videoland is a non and Videolabs is a startup. Because uh, one of the problems we have with uh, Videoland is uh, the lack of funding and the lack of uh, involvement of people. But doing a startup is a cool thing to do, right? It is pretty cool. <laughs> so, But we can talk about that a bit later,
1: I guess. Great. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess it probably makes sense to give people a little background about Videoland itself. Um, I think... Of anybody that's been in the industry for more than ten minutes recognizes the cone and the hats, and or like anyone who was a student, <laughs> or anybody that's ever watched a video on their computer uh, when it didn't work and needed to download something else. So yeah, I guess I guess let's start off with just what is Videolan and how you got involved.
2: Yeah,
0: okay. So Videolan is a project, a software project like Mozilla is, and um, there is many software that are developed uh, by the Videolan nonprofit and Videolan team. One of them is VLC, but that's not the only one. Um, X264 is a Videoland project, and we have a lot of other, mostly libraries for developers related to video codecs, demuxes, and so on, that are made by the nonprofit. VideoLAN Client became VLC, is the most known software, but it's not the only one. So, in fact, uh, <laughs> Videoland um, was a student project, and uh, at the beginning in 1994, it was called Project 2000. Um, Project Network 2000 was a way for the students of the Ecole Centrale Paris campus, which is a university uh, south of Paris, to get a new network. Because they wanted to play video games and they had a very old token ring network, which was great in 1994, except for video games, because the latency was crap. Um, so they wanted to go and get a new network, and no one wanted them to get a new network because it was a lot of money. Um, so they went to see a few companies, and one of the companies was a French podcaster, and says, you know, TV by satellite is the future. Well, it's easy to, to laugh now, 20 years after. Wow, so, so TV by satellite wasn't
2: around when, when VideoLand was created?
0: It, it was, just starting 1994,
2: uh, right? That's yeah. incredible.
0: And, and it was just like, that was the idea, right? And the problem is that there was 1,500 students on the campus, and that meant you, you had to put like 1,500 boxes of decoders, of MPEG-2 decoders, we costed 2,000 bucks, and also like 2,000 like, satellite dishes. So one of the guys says, okay, um, if you're able to have only one satellite dishes and one decoder and streaming on the network then and decode on, on the PCs, then I pay you a new network. So of course, ten years that was 10 years before YouTube, right? So now it's obvious, but at the time when they started the project, we were talking about uh, processors that were the 486 and the Pentium 60 and 90. So that was like science fiction to do MPEG-2 SD decoding on a machine. But the students said, okay, deal. So they started the project, which was Project Network 2000, and took more or less two years to have a proof of concept that managed to to stream two pieces of video. Uh, 45 seconds, uh, the machine was like packed with 64 megabytes of RAM or something. And of course, everything crashed after 50 seconds, but the demo was 45, so that was fine. <laughs> and they got the new network. And, and that's how the... Project Network 2000 started and the only idea was to play video games with lower latency. So uh, they had an awesome network, very expensive at that time. And after that, 1997, a few guys who were also students on the same place said, well, you know, maybe other people care about this video LAN streaming project and maybe we should do that as open source. So they restarted the project and came it, called it Video LAN because it's video on a, a local network. Mm-hmm. And they were three important pieces the video land server the video land client and of course some stuff doing some switching on the network level that made made no sense outside of this uh, student uh, university network and that's how it started it, it took them two years to make it open source because the, the university wanted to keep that in order to resell mpeg2 decoders or, or something like that it, it completely failed and so in 2001 it it became open source both all the software there was like VLC, VLS, VLCs, VLM, and others. And VLC, when they started to to make it open source in two thousand one, started to like really get traction, especially because it was ported on the Mac by some guy from I guess uh, Netherlands, and that was the only way on macOS to play DVDs. Wow! So that was pre QuickTime. QuickTime couldn't play DVDs for a long time. You needed iDVD. Oh, uh, okay.
2: So so one of the first features that uh, came out of this VLC project after it was open source was DVD playback. Yes. Because well, DVDs are MPEG-TS
0: under the hood? Well, exactly. So so it's MPEG-PS. But the, as soon as you have your MPEG-2 audio decoder and your MPEG-2 uh, video decoder, then TS and PS are not that difficult and not that dissimilar. So it was easy to add. And as soon as you could hack and destroy the DVD-CSS protection, which was not really a protection since it's so weak. Um, <laughs> They added that, and, and and like after being ported, being open source, like in three months, someone ported it in on the Mac, and then in six months, someone ported it on Windows, and that's how VLC started getting actually popular. In fact, VideoLine is a, the project that did a lot of those stuff that are related to network streaming and video streaming and servers and clients and so on. Normal people just use VLC as a client, which was at the beginning like only playing MPeg two, and then someone added another decoder, and then someone added Libevi Kodak at some point. And then like we were in 2003 and that eDonkey, Kaza, Emule, or whatever those stuff that none of us have ever used, of course, <laughs> uh, went around. That was one of the best way to play DivX because DivX MPEG-2, MPEG-4 ASP was so great. You could like put your DVD on a, on a CD for, for, for the same price. Um, so that's a bit the difference between VideoLAN and VLC. Uh, and the second very important project was started in 2004, I believe, which was uh, X264, the H264 encoder that was started by Laurent Aymar, uh for his third year project. Um, and that became probably the most used encoder in the world, I guess. Probably. <laughs> I'm not
2: sure there's any doubt at this stage. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated just by like one little little snippet you had there is... The, the core innovation that VLC had that got it off the ground was this software MPEG-2 decoder, but the the university couldn't find a market for it? Like there was no commercial market for an MPEG-2 decoder?
0: Well, there was. The problem is that it was a, a, a student project, which would be a major project. Uh, and like the alac- allocated time was 150 hours per student. And the students put 150 hours per month, and not, and so they said, well, you know, we want to be open source. It was like pure GPL, and they didn't care at all about making money. Um, also, there was so many uh, questions about patents and uh, licensing on Impact Two that they didn't really care. Um, so they were most more focused on having good technical background and having fun. And that was one of the reasons VLC became popular, is that because there was no marketing, no business around. It was just like, because we care, it's going to be good engineering, and we want people to be happy. And that's what drove VLC for a long time. What helped VLC really start on Mac was the MPEG-2 decoder for DVDs, um, which is a bit different from what made it popular on Windows, though.
1: I don't think you talked about like why how you got involved. Is it while you were in school? Is it afterwards? And then from there I'd love to hear like your take on why why you think um video land is is important in today's world. Um sure besides from being the most used encoder. <laughs>
0: I went to this university called Ecole Centrale Paris in 2003. Um, I was a student there and I was the vice president and manager of the network, of the of the the student network, because that was managed by a non-profit that was only managed by students. Um, so the whole campus network was done by students and not by the university at all. That's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible, but it's because, in fact, it's a private campus on a public school which never existed in, in Europe, uh, or at least not in France. But for historical reasons, uh, this like everything on the campus was managed by students, which is great because like it helps you to learn so much more than listening to some old professor dude that, you know, is just going to take, give you theory. In real life, you care about projects and doing projects. So, I was a student there and I started to be the vice president and the manager of the whole network. Uh, one of, I think in the end, we were only two to actually um, work seriously on the network. The second one is Remy Denis Cormont, who's still a VLC developer, probably the biggest VLC developer uh, from the same year. And when I was at the university, I was mostly doing networking and streaming and multicast and so on. And I spent a lot of time also deploying uh, 70 Wi Fi um, access points on the campus. Uh, that was my second-year project. But I, I helped already uh, on the VideoLand project, mostly on the streaming part uh, in 2004, but I was not coding, right? Was that still working?
2: Was the the central uh, goal, you said, was to take a single satellite feed, decode it once, and stream it to everyone? Uh, who wanted to watch TV on the campus. Was that still up and running?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That was still... We had, like, uh, I think it was around 120 TV channels, and some of them were encrypted, so we had, like, developed something that was just decrypting <laughs> and removing the key <laughs> and restreaming that. Um, so that's a, a, a video land project called LibDVB CSA, which is just removing CSA or opening or whatever you call that. Um liberating, I think is the Liberating. <laughs> okay. I, I need to use that word for DRM now. <laughs> I'm not breaking DRM, I'm liberating the media. <laughs> Um, and that was still working and quite well, right? And also doing, we were doing some H. H.264 tests uh, very early. I don't think it was 2004. Video Run was one, the, the campus one was where a lot of testing were done by probably broadcasters from Europe and so on because it was awesome network and good technologies. So I didn't really code on VLC at that time. Um, I started mostly coding when I was doing an internship in, 2005, and I was bored as hell because there was not enough to do during the internship. Uh, so I started helping uh, mostly because I didn't have like really a, a programming background, right? Uh, in my university, I did generic engineering. I didn't go that much to lessons, although, so I um, didn't do a lot of development. 2005, I started to help on the forum, on helping people and giving a few patches like normal. And then in, in early 2006, I believe, was when I was an I- another internship that was also extremely boring. And that's how I started to actually code a lot. Um, I had to work a lot on porting on Windows because no one maintained the Windows port. And that's how I started coding because I had no idea how to code at the time. Wow, so we, we wouldn't have the, the Windows
2: port of VLC unless your internships had been boring? Well, you probably
0: wouldn't have a VLC those days, <laughs> my, uh, and so um, I'm glad you were so bad at picking internships. <laughs> so then, 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 I moved to San Francisco for one year, um, working for the French consulate uh, that was in Bush on Bush Street that, at that time, and also that was extremely boring. And, uh, <laughs> but I stayed one year; it was amazing. I went to meet so many startups and so many cool tech people but when I came back I said okay we need to do something about that and and during that year in fact uh, I started like recruiting new people because in 2007 early 2007 we were only two left on the VLC project so I spent a lot of time during 2007 and 2008 to get new students to get new people say hey you know it's open source it's cool and so on and and also like help for people to actually get involved because it was quite difficult at that time and when I come back from the U.S. in end of 2008, I create the first Videoland Dev Days meetings, and I create the nonprofit at that time. And I and I spend then all my time to get all the assets, uh, IP, and whatever from the school and move them to the Videoland nonprofit that was starting at that that was started in 2008. And I've been the president since. That's
1: an, that's an incredible way to like start getting involved.
0: Well, also like, I spend a lot of time doing what no one wants to do, answering on the forums answering emails, support, compiling for Windows, uh, working on Windows XP and
1: all those horrible operating systems that no one wants to use. <laughs> so things that are that are only marginally more fun than the boring internships? Is that kind of what I'm hearing here?
0: Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time on Videoland doing the stuff that no one wants to do, right? And that's how you make yourself. Usable, right? Useful. I now know how to code correctly in numerous languages, but like compared to many others, I'm like just like well, I know how to write good C and decent C plus plus, and write some assembly. I can read it without problem, and a lot of scripting. But like there are some people who are way better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of my big roles is to understand most of the technologies and be able to review patches, but also understanding the bigger picture and spend time so that those people who are better than me can actually be very efficient. And that is one of the main goal uh, I've set. And I think it, it kind of worked, right? Like a, um, VLC move from 2003 where we had like a, a, a total of 1 million downloads, uh, mostly on the Mac, um, to probably 1 billion in 2011. And now, uh, I don't know, 2, 3, I don't know. No big deal. No, no. <laughs> well, it doesn't no matter th- the number of downloads for us. Because first, like download doesn't mean active user. It could be like an update. And also like a lot of people download outside of our websites, right? Because they go to download.com or vlc.de or other websites, right? And and a lot of our users are on Linux, right? And of course they go through the distribution. So it's doesn't really matter the number of downloads. It's really good for the press people who love to have like big numbers and they can do a, a, but, but in fact, it's not what is important. The importance is that are people happy and do we serve a good purpose? And that is the most important part.
2: So I, I'd love to, to hear. So the, the story you gave is you came back from San Francisco in, in 2008 and set up the nonprofit and, and started just trying to like build the community. Uh, that was almost 10 years ago now. So what have you been up to in the 10 years? Did you come back out to San Francisco and work again?
0: No. Um, so when I was in San Francisco, I worked on a, um, a, a Franco-American startup which uh, was doing peer-to-peer streaming video uh, in 2008 that failed very badly. I remember meeting some guy, I think it was Justin from Justin TV at the time, who said, you know, bandwidth is its not worth the complexity. So that failed and then in to, from 2009 to 2012 I worked in a CTO of a, a, a small startup that was like doing some great stuff and it was like kind of video Spotify basically the, the problem is that it takes a lot of time to actually decide what you're going to watch and it was like it looked like a TV but it was like recommended really uh, as VOD but we started that with video and uh, with uh, music videos. And, you know, you, you played one, it moved to the next one and moved to the next one. But like if you show that to my mom, she would say, well, yeah, it's. A normal TV, but the only thing is that you can say like or next. And that's a bit like what you see now at the end of the YouTube videos, right? Where they move right. to the next one. Or things like Pluto.TV, which are,
2: are doing quite well now.
0: Yes, but that was 2009. And a lot of the problem on, on that was uh, basically um, working on with content providers who are like obtuse that they don't want to move to anything. And they're, ah, yeah, but I don't have the right and blah, blah, blah. And the the, 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 the scaling uh, and the time frame for, for development of those stuff is like 18 months and so on. And that's not a, a timescale that works for a startup. So so I think we died in 2012. And at that time, I was also doing more and more VLC work and was taking, I, I mean, I had two jobs, right? So in 2011, I, I went to the nonprofit and said, well, we need to do like Mozilla, which has a nonprofit and a corp. We need to do something like that. And well, <laughs> most of the non-profit is French. So they were just like, ah, you know what, what will happen in five years if uh, the company dies and who will develop VLC and what, blah, blah, blah. I have no clue. I I can't tell you, right? I, I couldn't, I had no idea at that point. And I would lie, just say, well, we're going to do great. I have no idea, which was the honest answer. So in 2011, we didn't do that, but uh, the problem was if you wanted to go to smart TVs, iPhone and so on, you can't just like work on your laptop, right? It, developing for mobile is extremely painful and extremely costly. It's even worse now, right? So in 2012, I decided to do my own consulting company separate from the nonprofit. The idea would be to do like the the commercial uh, arm of the on nonprofit That was in end of 2012. and I've been working at this company and leading this company ever since. Most of the development today uh, for mobile is developed by the by the company, but a large part also of VLC. However, the the the, the owner owner of the copyright is still the non profit. The editor is still the non profit, but the rest is uh, on the company. So if the company dies, VLC doesn't, right? Right. 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 Got it. It
1: shouldn't die though. But (laughs) (laughs) before we move on or beyond background, I'm very curious where the cone came from in all of this. So uh, that, that's a good question, and usually I, I refuse to answer that <laughs> one, especially when it's recorded. But
0: I, 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 <laughs> I, I answered to that on, on the big uh, Ask Me Anything on Reddit last week or the week before. I, I won't get all the details because some of the details are, are too private, but it, it's really like linked to, to this um, uh, uh, non-profit that was managing the, the, the network in, in the Ecole Centrale Paris. So when I arrived in Paris, in 2003, in Ecole Centrale Paris, the geek building—all the, all the be- geeks were in the same building uh, uh, on the campus—and they had a collection of cones uh, that was insane. And when I say insane, like on the floor for 24 people, they had maybe 200 cones, and <laughs> and and there was like like there was this absolutely insane cone culture. And, and, and when I mean when I mean cone culture, it's like like they were doing like competitions, right? Like. There was the acrobatic cone where they were throwing themselves from the first floor on on a big mattress with cones to do like acrobatic, uh, like uh, jumping, and people were were, were, like judging that. Um, There was, of course, the cone ball where they were playing a kind of like, I guess, a kind of baseball with cones. There was just like also like a competition of uh, cone editing. So they did like a lot of shots of cones around the campus fighting and so on. There was like this huge, like, like, this huge, like, They're just living that cone life. (laughs) Worshiping, in, of course, a joking sense, right? Uh Not anything weird, but just like worshiping on the cone. And and it was (laughs) extremely funny. And that kept. The question most, that's always what I've said. What people ask me is, how did it start? Well, it started when they had this very fast new network. Um, And this very fast new network got uh, connected to 100 megabits per second to the internet. Wow. (laughs) Sure, like, yeah. We're talking 1999. (laughs) And that starts to be quite fast, right? And of course, students did stuff they did do, like, downloading stuff, right? The people, f- basically, someone say, well, you know, that's not okay, especially since it went through the the, the network from the French uh, education network. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was absolutely not okay. So, so the, the school, the university went to see the, the the students who say, okay, we know who it is, we, we'll manage that. But they didn't know what to do, right? Because they never forbid actually to do that and they also didn't want to give the name and so on. So they went, uh, they had like, these like dinners outside of the campus every, every month in order to discuss about the problems of the nonprofit outside of the campus. And one of the time, they actually discuss about this problem. And so on their way back, um, they might have been had a few beers, I guess, there was some construction just next to it. And some uh, guy actually took um, a cone and went on the campus. And they, they uh, while discussing that, they starting screaming the name of the person with the cone. So they used uh, the first thing, the first <laughs> use of the cone was actually to use that as a um, porte I don't know. Um, megaphone? As a megaphone, right. And when they ba- went back to bed, they kept the cone, right. And like almost at the same time. And this is... Before my time, so I'm not sure, but at almost at the same time, one guy rewrote the X11 video output for Linux on, on on VLC, and he finished at four and a half, and there was like a there was a lot of fighting, uh, not fighting but competition in the early VLC developer days where people were wanted to put features that the other didn't. And in order to to just show that he actually finished the X11 because that was a big topic before another guy did it, he actually checked in the code and put a, a cone, a small cone, because it was just like after the the, the megaphone phone um event that was around and he put this cone just to say, well I push it at 5 a.m but I pushed it first and here is the here is the cone, right? And so the next morning, people can actually go on from what he started, but he was the one who started it. And, he, and the cones stayed for, for, <laughs> for a bit, and the cone stayed, right? Um, so those two events, and then started like the, the cone culture, or cone worshipping, or, and, and that kept... The thing is, it's completely insane and stupid to use a cone for a, a, a video software. But it's so great, like no one in their sane mind would do that, but that it's so di- distinctive, right? You do a web browser, okay, I'm going to take a Earth and, and add some stuff, <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, I'm going to take a video player and YouTube. Oh, I'm going to use a play button and maybe a square, you know, like that would remind you to the TV. Like one of the reasons VLC got popular is that because a lot of people don't use VLC, they use a cone player. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> And that is one of the reasons why even though we receive a, one email per week saying that, oh, you should change your logo, we will not change the logo. But in the beginning, it was just like a kind of funny mistake and no one cared. It was like 20 people were using the software at that time. It was not even open source. <laughs> it's like a funny mistake, right? But it's a bit like the, 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 the Christmas um, holiday season hats that VLC has every last 10 days of the year. It was not meant to be live. But <laughs> we actually—it it was like during the development of the Qt interface in um, in VLC, it was just like like we knew it was going to be very long to actually um, release. But for like the developers to have fun, we added that, right? Well, Raphael d- added that. But then when we push it to production, we kind of forgot. <laughs> to remove the thing that was changing the code to a to a <laughs> to a Santa Claus hat, and that's. How it started, uh, the, so uh, and and then people starting insulting us <laughs> for having this this uh, holiday season uh, hat, and people were so like insulting that we said, well, you know, we are going to keep it because That's so French. I p- yeah, love there it. is there it. is no <laughs> way you insult us uh, on something we do on our free time for like no no money. You're not like our clients. We do something. We're happy if you're happy, but like never insult us or attack us because of some s- silly mistake. Um, so that's why also we
1: decided. Well, you know, we keep it. <laughs> I I love the icon and the logo, uh, but that story was so much better than I expected it to be. <laughs> Cone culture is a phrase I never expected to hear. But I,
2: I love that you guys knew that there was one person on your network who was pissing everyone off and some guy at, at 1
0: a.m. was screaming his name <laughs> through a cone. <comb>. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how the how the, the US campus uh, are, but that was like a very very um it's a small campus and it's a very friendly environment and um it's an engineering school, so that wasn't out of line, right? Um
1: yeah, yeah no, I totally. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be awesome to talk a little bit about like what the current world of VLC looks like. So I, I, at FOMS, you you told us a little bit about uh, VLC three. Uh, do you mind giving, giving the audience a little feedback there?
0: So um, we starting very being very serious for the Android port of VLC uh, and the iOS one in two thousand twelve and, and thirteen, and, and the whole like infrastructure of VLC wasn't actually perfect for that Um, mostly because on 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 mobile you need hardware decoding there is absolutely no discussion right so the code base from vlc on android on ios and the the one from the from the desktop was a bit different and that gave us those absolutely insane namings where the uh, ios version is at 2.7 the android version is at 1.5 and the WinRT version is at 0.5 and the desktop is 2.2 i mean it makes no sense So a lot of work we spent on 3.0 was to actually have like one version that we're going to release at the same time on all the platforms and have hardware decoding everywhere by default, because well now we're talking about UHD right and 4K and like your laptop is using now 12 watts or and you can't keep up, um, especially since we're starting 4K 60fps 30 Mbps megabits per second. That's not insane, but like just in software, you, you, your machine is almost dying. 3.0 has hardware decoding, 4K, HDR by default on all the platforms. HDR also depends on the platform because there is a lot of discussion on that. We have everything related to 360 videos, so you can play your 360 videos, and of course um, we also have like third order ambisonics, so 3D audio. Um, I'm not sure there is many players that actually do third order ambisonics and not first order. Um, but that the result is so much better, and so that's like the first really important part: hardware decoding and 360. The second important part is everything related to browsing uh, your local network. VLC was always able to do like UPnP browsing, but very badly. And now that your laptop is like, and a lot of people have NAS, it makes sense to have a, a better improvement and um, support of that. So now we, you can actually list files on uh, Samba shares, DLNA, UPnP. NFS for the, the, the five hmm. people who actually use that uh, SFTP and so on um, so that was um, kind of like a, a large uh, work we did and finally supporting a lot of new crappy formats because like what I try to get people to remember is that VLT plays everything and runs everywhere but the thing is it's not always everything there are lots of like weird cases that we didn't support so we spend a lot of time especially two guys in the team has spent the last two years Yes, finding weird samples of the old QuickTime days of the 1990s, uh, finding some people who put some 608 inside MP4 in a different way than it would, should, should do, some like non-defined uh, MP4 boxes, and some people who put VP8 and VP9 inside OG because they can, <laughs> um, or work on stuff like Web WebVTT or TTML and so on. So the, the list of uh, the number of formats that we support is huge. Yeah, so that's mostly for 3.0. Then there is so much other stuff. Uh, we can now store uh, dialogues. We have a, we can store passwords so for your for your Samba shares and so on. But it's encrypted in your hard drive uh, in your hard drive and not like just plain text and, and a lot of stuff around that. So we, and, and so 3.0 is the first version that is the same everywhere. So I'm quite happy about that. But uh, we need to accelerate the the big releases. I think is is the feature set uh, compatible across all? Can I like play a file from a Samba share on my Android? Yes, well, you can also play uh, an AVI and an SRT inside a zip, inside a folder, inside a zip on your SMB file (laughs) and uh, and on your SMB share and it's going to get, open the zip, open the RAR, open the folders and get and find there is a subtitle directly next to it and automatically detect it because it's the same name. So yeah, a lot of stuff like that that um, would be closer to a a light media center but like we're very far from a light media center but that make a bit more sense. Very cool. So after that, um, probably VR. So we have uh, patches for the VR headsets. We, I have no idea exactly what's going to happen with all those VR headsets and if people will care. But we have everything ready for, for that. And I'll probably start working on the UI and the media library. Right, so getting uh, Oculus support into VLC. I'll, I'll
2: be able to like download VLC from the Oculus store and play a video. I'm,
0: it actually works now. I got like uh, patches for, for that. Um, the question is whether we sh- will send that from the Oculus Store or just you run VLC, the normal VLC, and if you have an Oculus, it automatically detects that. Ah, gotcha. So not a new 250 megabyte download Unity app that is extremely slow. It's just like, you know, you got VLC and well, I detect there is an HMD. So. Oh, also, in 3.0 we added support for Chromecast, which was asked for so much time. Right, um, yeah, And when we did that, we didn't do it like just for Chromecast. We did it in a way so that we can extend for the future so we can get AirPlay, UPnP, Renderers, Miracast, or whatever the new uh,
1: format that will be. Sounds like a lot of work. It is, but it's cool. <laughs> how, many, how many commits would you say were in this last release? I think you had something on the... 15,000
0: for the core <laughs> and maybe four 5,000 for Android and maybe a bit less for iOS.
1: That's incredible. That's an incredible amount of work.
0: It's It's a lot of work, and it's also very rare those days to have an open-source software that is uh, managed like that, because now most of the open-source software are uh, developed by big companies. Basically, Google and Facebook are basically paying people to do that. It's their day job, right? They just, in the end, open-source it. Um, doing the way the hippie, uh, communist, whatever you call it, old way, where we don't have features, we develop it, is quite rare. Um, but also... Most of the old way of doing open open source um, and people who actually care about calling that free software have gone. Right, so the reason why I started the company was because startups are cool, and if you want to have like new people investing time, you need to do a startup. So I'm doing an open source startup, but because else you don't get people to actually uh, develop on that because they could work for and
1: get a quarter million
0: to half a million per year at Facebook.
1: Something else you mentioned at farms, which. Kind of blew my mind a little bit, but uh, VLC JS. Can you tell us a little bit about? So, <laughs> what is what was the what was the phrase that uh, Steve Robertson used? Uh, if or uh, this is a common phrase, but um, if it can be written in JavaScript, it will be written in JavaScript. <laughs> uh, so VLC now in JavaScript. Well, um,
0: the goal is not to have it in JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, let's be very clear on that.
1: I, I, like one of the questions I
0: always ask is like, but what is the future of VLC? Right, everyone is going to watch movies streamed directly online whether it's legal or or illegal and so what is your your value, and of course there is, there will always be value, but the v- value will be decreasing um, to the users. So there was always a discussion about how do we get VLC to run inside a web browser, whether we develop some kind of video JS clone or I, I, when we discuss that video JS didn't exist, but that was a long time ago. Um, but stuff like that. Well, well, we are not really like the JavaScript guys. Um, and in two thousand thirteen, I guess the Firefox OS people ask us whether we could compile VLC for for Firefox OS, and I say, okay, sure. Give me threads, and they say, well, no threads, and I say, well, no VLC. Um, mm. You 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 cannot have a media player without thread um, because at least you need an audio and a video thread and an input thread, right? And a loop for the maximum. So I said, well, no way. But then, started last year, discussion about WebAssembly, and one of the goal of WebAssembly was to have thread. And modules and like modules is exactly how VLC is, so that completely fits how we are. And threads say, well, you know, we could do it, right? And there is a lot of value, right? When I talk about that last year, people just laughed and say, well, JB, you're insane. And actually, did the demo. Why is it important? Because like today, people use HLSGS, which is basically demuxing TS an uh, HLS manifest in JavaScript in order to remux it in MP4, and then in order to basically feed that to the MSC, which just reads frag- fragmented MP4. Like really, is that a sane way of uh, CPU cycle? I don't think so. Let's be honest, I'm very, very respectful to, to the people who are doing that, because like, wow, that's like insane amount of work, extremely difficult work. And after writing a TSD I know that writing a full TSD Maxer is extremely difficult, right? And also, I found that the web is getting a bit ridiculous. Like, oh, there is a new fad, so let's add a web thing. So we have web VR, and then we have uh, web joysticks, and and, like at some point, the APIs are way too big, right? So in my opinion, it should just like have low-level APIs and then you write your own stuff above it. And some people from the Internet Archive said, well, I want to play DVDs. And I'm just like, well, you know, VLC was done to play DVDs. <laughs> and they say, well, like, what would it take to actually have um, DVD playback? And I said, well, you know, with Ten and Pthread, well, it shouldn't be difficult, right, to get that. That's... So we started just to do a proof of concept, which actually works, and that is the surprising part. Is that I spent some time this summer uh, with another a student, and actually, kind of works. The question is, like, we have a proof of concept, right? The question is whether this will move to alpha, beta, or like actually something you can use. Well, this mostly depends on the the browser people. But imagine in one year we got WebAssembly, we got threads in WebAssembly. We got SIMD.wasm and we managed to do something which cross-compile, transpile YASM assembly file to SIMD.wasm. The Chrome people actually export the API, they were exported to PPAPI to do the hardware decoders. And we have modules. Then, well, downing the core VLC is just a few hundred Ks of uh, WASM byte stream or, or whatever. And then depending on the format, it's going to download the right module for the right format. And if you have had the hardware decoder for your format, then it's going to use the hardware. If you don't, it won't. And then you can manage to do stuff like that. So like you want an AV1 decoder, like write it in C and in, in assembly, but thinking that it will be compiled to WebAssembly, um nsmd.wasm. As soon as you get hardware decoder, then it will be offloaded. But if it's not, then you can still use all your machines and not say, <laughs> Well, I'm going to serve three times the, the the content because I need one in HCBC for, for, for Mac OS and iOS and one on AV1 because YouTube does that for 4K. <laughs> but for the rest, I need h And you know, one is using some HLS, but the other one is using CMAF. And the last one is using dash. Oh no, wait, it's not C, it's not Dash, it's three different of dash because this we are shouldn't understand this one and this one is this one. And on, not even talking about DRMs, right? Like uh, CBC, VS, CTR, and so on. And as soon as you got modules, well, maybe you want to write your own DRM, write it as a VLC module. It will work in VLC.js, it will work on VLC on Android, and like and the libVLC, so you can use it and like write your plugin for your custom format, and your custom codec, or your custom DRM, because maybe you can do stuff that makes sense. Maybe like MP4 or MKV are not the best muxing m- formats, and we can do better with less overhead. Um, maybe you have a very specific use case, or you think that, well, H V C is great, but I can do something very slightly different, and then you write your own um, and VLC is a would be a good framework there uh, where you actually plug your stuff because and that's also something that don't people don't know is that VLC is not a player it's actually a multimedia framework with around 500 modules that are loaded at runtime most of the people just click and use it at VLC but a lot of professional can have their own format right it's very possible that this actually works but it will mostly depend on whether the web browser people are going to um, do the
2: right stuff. And I think that's a a fascinating thing you've touched on there, which is in a world where we have WebAssembly downloading essentially bytecode, we have all of these different APIs essentially replacing the OS APIs we we knew and loved with something that's kind of cross-platform. It really does start to bring into focus like, okay, well, why do we have things like MSE and not? hardware decoders exposed. Because when you're in this context, we, we already have people deploying out to production HLSJS, right? You are, we're already deploying and running in the web browser full TS demuxing, followed by full remuxing into FMP4. Like why? We, we already demuxed the TS. If there was an AAC decoder, if there was an H. two hundred and sixty four decoder, if there were primitives available to us on these platforms, we could, we could use them. Right, we're, we're good enough as developers to do that, whereas right now our hands are kind of being tied.
0: Yeah, and you're tied by like, what happens is like in, in two years, Chrome decides that they don't ship an H264 decoder anymore, for I don't know patents' reasons or because they want to push their own format. What do you do? You're just like you spend so much time on that. Or why they decide that because of their, how they're doing CMAF, they are not using going to to support this FMP4 in the same way as they used to, and then like you need to adapt. And, and also the, the 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 schedule of releases of Chrome and Firefox is very difficult to follow. Sure, it's okay for a startup. It's okay for Justin TV and Twitch TV and and other people like that. It is not okay for broadcasting people or people who have like who are like have a very slower um, ecosystem, and there are people who have a slower ecosystem that do make sense. You can't just like well everything is going to be replaced by startups because you know there are cases where you don't care you you don't care and you need some slower innovation, and and that's. The problem is that now you have too much uh, power, in my opinion, on, on a few actors. And so far, they're great. Like Chrome is doing an amazing job and, and Firefox is too. But what happens in two years? What happens in five? You can't play your files anymore? What about 10, right? Now we're talking 10 years. And, and, and like also, like today we have DVDs. The Internet Archive has hundreds of thousands of DVDs. They can't play them because there is no way. And And the only solution we have now is, oh, a demo of an MPEG-2 video decoder in JavaScript. Which is great, but the difficulty of a player is not just a decoder, right? It's having good audio-video synchronization, uh, understanding bit rates, having a lot of features, detecting other files, and and so on. And so I think that's one of um, the main uh, points for interoperability, and also not only in space in number of formats, but also in the future and in the past. Sounds like an, a very interesting project. Well, I'm not sure it's the most interesting project I have. We have a, a project of running a kind of a Chrome sandbox like inside VLC. And I think that in the research, it's more interesting than VLC.js. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, actually, I think up, up next on our schedule, Matt was talking about some of the, the future and uh,
0: what are the hard problems you're working on now? Well, the hard problems, are, so they are the short-term one and the longer-term one. Uh, on short-term, short um, now that the playback engine is way better and, and the same everywhere, we need a, a better UI and a kind of very light media library. So you can, because like a lot of audio software went away. iTunes is pure crap. Um, and so you have a lot of files and how do you manage that? A lot of people are using VLC for that and that pains me, like, well, maybe we should do something for people who play audio. So, But that's a short term, right? We have also, the media library is already done for Android and iOS, it's in C++, we're going to use that on desktop. So that's for VLT 4 VLC4 is also probably VR, and some UI related to the media library. But that's not really difficult, right? It's already planned, we're also already working on that. Uh, this will happen the more important stuff I'm working on are VLCGS um, and the sandbox stuff and those are we are we I have no idea whether that's going to land in six months probably not one year two years, three years I don't know but we'll find out
1: So what is the sandbox stuff do you mind giving a little bit more information there
0: yeah um, so the current approach of sandboxing is very bad um, well it's great but it doesn't fit the VLC module Um, what happens for VLC is that you're going to put VLC in the sandbox and you're going to give it all the rights. Well, I need to have access to your file, and without a file picker, because I'm going to open playlist or MKVs that are linked, mm-hmm. or MXF that are linked, or MP4 that are linked. I need to open the subtitle that is the same name uh, next to the file, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're going to give me access to all your files on Windows, on your documents. So already VLC has access to way too much. On Linux, we had the issue where some security researchers um, send us an exploit, and the exploit was actually not executing the calculator like they do, but actually reading a uh, .ssh and .gpg keys, private keys and send that to a server, right? And that's where you realize that, holy shit, VLC has access to stuff it shouldn't have. Well, we need hardware decoding and, and and video display. So we are on Windows in DWM mode, which is half the kernel, on Linux, X11 and DRM, so your root, so you can do anything on the machine. <laughs> I need to, uh, to have access to your audio output, which is I got access to your slash dev DSP, and I can do so much with that. I need access to networking to play files, uh, to play network streams. I need to open also socket so you can You can control VLC, but I also need access to your um, slash dev read-only on Linux to get V4L, DVD, Blu-ray, ASI, and, and so on. In the end, you realize that VLC has a good use case, like the browsers, for all the features that a sandbox could have. And that's bad. So what I want is not to do that, but to do exactly what Chrome is doing, which is basically you would split VLC into multiple process. Basically, the demuxer would have like no rights because it's just data in, data out. The video decoder and video output would just get access to the graphic card, but it has access to no file system, no network, no audio. The audio has audio, but no. no. Mm-hmm. And the input has just like, depending if it's an, a network input or a file input, then it just has access to like network or file, but like only your home and not the whole system files, etc. And that's very difficult because um, we need to be able to pass huge buffers <laughs> between processes in a cross-platform way, and that for every input, we recycle, destroy all these process and we do that. And the closest to that is a Chrome sandbox, but in performance, it's not yet there, and they have like different cases are important that are not exactly uh, what we need. And also, their code base uh, for the sandbox is too big for us to maintain. So I want to do that, which and that means we have a proof of concept based on threads, so not processes, uh, that actually kind of works on Linux. But now we need to move that to multiple multiple process VLC. And also, it's really important, the OS is applying the rules. Um, and that's one of the the points where VLC is very um, good. Is that if you would do that with GStreamer, every module would actually say, "I need this right, right?" So you do a ROG module which allow, needs all the rights, and boom, you do that in VLC because it's a more um, a bit more static. Um, uh, multi framework, we launch a thread and this thread is a video decoding thread and this one will load modules. So it's easier to restrict the thread than having the modules, which means that the core VLC can apply different security models on the different threads slash processes and not the module themselves. And that makes way, it way more secure. And also I can ask the, the kernel to actually apply the security and force it. So I think it's a very big project, but it's uh, quite interesting,
1: and I don't think anyone has done that correctly for now. So we'll see. It sounds like a huge undertaking. I mean, how much how much of that is like rewriting rewriting the world um, and how much of that is just kind of breaking things up? you know what I mean? Like yeah, so it's not that much, okay? Because
0: um when you do a, mo- a VLC modules is usually 1,000 lines of code. You basically have an API that is baiting, like for a DMAXer, reads data and output data. Like output a track and get a stream. Whether this, uh, this function is calling you on a pointer that is just your normal pointer or a shared memory isn't a big deal. So what's important is that this sandbox will not change a lot on the modules. And like VLC core is 100,000 lines of code right? The whole VLC module is around 1 million and all the dependent libraries, maybe 15 million. But the core is quite small and most of those changes will only be done in the core. So it's a lot of work, mostly because you need to find a good way to do IPC, Mm cross-platform way, but it's not insane. We're talking about like a lot, like probably four people full-time for two years. Let's be clear on that, right? So we're talking about one, one one-and-a-half million euros. But I think it's interesting enough that we should think about that. And also it will give us like the VLC um, uh, multiprocess which is mostly interesting for people who care about streaming because ma- basically your VLC could play whatever it plays, and then pass that to the stream output, which would be actually in a different process or maybe a different Docker. And like you would have like a duplicate that, duplicate that, and then in a different Docker, you have the stuff that is taking the data and restream that to RTMP, another one to RTSP, and the other one to HLS, and the other one to Dash, because VLC can do all those stuff. Mm -hmm. And then if one crashes, well, it doesn't crash the rest because those are different processes. If we manage to move VLC, um, LibVLC
1: framework to multiprocess, they give us... Other ideas that can be quite cool. That sounds amazing. Yeah. What's the biggest problem you guys can solve in the next five years? I guess let's take that a little bit more meta. So, not just like technically in the code base, like, but yeah, at a higher level, like in the video industry or consumer video world. Who's going to buy your startup? <laughs> Those can be two different questions. OK, fair want. enough. <laughs> so, um,
0: OK, I'm going to answer in different way, that, than, than, but I'm going to get to the point. Um, I'm going to answer, in, I think, two or three ways. The first thing is that on a very um, close time, I think we're going to invest quite a bit of time on AV1 and AOM. And Videolan is, in my opinion, one of the good um, entity to actually have decoders, new encoders, new tools around that, uh, because Videolan can bridge between... Facebook, Google, uh, Microsoft, and so on, and the open source community, and we need some good open source tooling, so if we want to get everyone good, not mm-hmm. like the VP9 uh, mistake. The second stuff is that where do we go for VLC? Well, you mostly know, right? And I'm going to spend a bit more time on other software related to VLC, but like the VLC needs to go in the JavaScript direction at the same time, the sandboxing, and like the more faster and like uh, uh, better uh, filters and, and so on and also improve the libvlc framework, which is now, since VLC 3.0, actually usable and actually used in lots of applications. But the biggest question is not that one. The biggest question is like, does our project make any sense? Maybe yes, for like people who are in the video industry, but outside, why does my mom care about VLC? Should she? And and like I think that uh, we had the problem that the question is not how do I play something because basically this problem is solved everything from the open source technologies from FFmpeg to libav to x264 and VLC got taken reshared and so on and finishes in, inside the web browsers and everyone watches stuff online so I think that the prob- the technical problem of how to play is fixed I think that we played a large part on that part but I think it's fixed so but the biggest question today when you talk to people is not that one the problem is. What do I watch and how? Because like, people are cutting cable, of course, but everywhere they're just like, watching a lot of TV shows and, and, and movies. And, and when you realize that the average American is watching five hours of TV per day and the average around European is three and a half or something, like, if you convert that to just TV shows, it means that you watch a, a whole season in two days. Well, two nights. Um, So there is a lot of questioning. I've never done that. (laughs) No, no. I doubt it. (laughs) I mean, like, how do people get that, right? So you got stuff from Netflix, which is great. But in the end, Netflix catalog is shrinking and it's not that big. Um, and so what happens is that you're going to ask uh, your friend, hey, I finished Westworld. You should say, it's so great. And then people are going to say, oh yeah, Westworld. Oh, so they're going to go discuss on Facebook, see the, uh, the the EMDB reviews and so on. And then what happens next? Oh, well, okay, where should I watch it? So they go, uh, they start watching it. It's on five different platforms, because one is on HBO, the other one is on Netflix, the one in Hulu. And, and you don't care, like you could even pay. It's just like, holy shit, I need to manage all that. And I don't know where to find. And then after you Finish, you're just like, ah, wh- what episode I was? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, but yeah, because, you know, like, this is Thanksgiving. Well, outside of the U.S., no one has any idea that during Thanksgiving there is no TV show. Why do they not write during Thanksgiving? I mean, they wrote it, like, <laughs> six months before. Like, and, and stuff like that. And, and it's, uh, like, it's a huge pain to know what to watch. And even when you know, because you've discussed your your friend in, in real life on social network and so on, then you don't know where and sometimes you watch so much stuff, you don't remember if, you, if you've seen it. I mean, I, people who say, well, it never happened that I start watching a movie and then realize that I've already seen it. Everyone has that. Had that Or you start an episode and you realize that, shit, I already saw that one, but okay. I was like half sleeping. <laughs> so there is a big, um, in my opinion, there is a big uh, pain point here. And um, I'm working for the project around that. Uh, which would be a kind of uh, Last.fm for video slash track T slash EMDB uh, slash kind of social network, but like an aggregator uh, around videos. Like everything you watch, whether it's legal or illegal, gets added to your profile. Profile being public or private, I don't care. You can follow your friends, see the timeline, what they're watching, Add that to your watch list and then what you watch, you click on it and gives you the link to the right platform, whether it's legal or illegal, whether your input is legal or illegal, I don't care. <laughs> What's important is that people know what to watch and know where they are in their whole, all the videos they've been watching. And and in my opinion, one of the biggest issue for privacy is not people who want free, it's just like convenience. Like try to watch, like Game of Thrones is out, try to see it in France in a correct version with French subtitle, it's impossible. It's so much pain. And I think that the problem for privacy is a a question of demand. Like, I don't know anyone left now who's pirating music or even video games. Steam and Spotify sold that. And I, I hope that Netflix would solve that, and it's not going to solve that they are focusing on amazing shows i love uh, if some people netflix i love your shows um, <laughs> second <laughs> but yeah so that's one of the projects i'm working on and that could be uh, something that get bought at some point mm-hmm. and the second project that is related to that is how do we do how do you do that when you're on your apple tv and you have no plugins because it must be seamless like you install a small plugin on your vlt on your kodi on your on your web browser and everything you watch is sent, legal, illegal, doesn't care. So that I know what I've seen and my friends see what I've been watching. But how do you do when you're on a closed platform? Then you need to recognize what's on your screen. So we developed the video Shazam where you basically take your smartphone, more or less shoot your, your TVs and it tells you what you're watching. So it's like video fingerprinting, but not in the usual way because most of the usual video fingerprinting is done when you have access to the full stream, which is easier. But we have that, but also we developed the part where you actually turn your whole frame and basically it finds a way, even while not having the full correct that's frame. That's so cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Is that open source? <laughs> no, that's not open source. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> well, the, the two last projects I saw are, are not open source because of what you said maybe some people would acquire... That, however, if someone gives me enough money, and I'm not speaking of insane amount of money from the Silicon Valley, but just enough, then yes, I could open source that. If you got 10 million, send that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, like, why not, right? I, I don't care. I just need a way to uh, keep um, putting good developers on important subjects around the open source community and around VideoLand. And if
1: this is what it needs, then why not? Man, I, I really love your philosophy around... Uh... Around open source, that's pretty awesome. So those are
0: basically the the projects I, I am personally working on, mostly with a with a with a startup. Um, if any of those projects will actually fly, what will happen is I will split the company and split the people. Yeah, and that. spin them out into their own entity. Yes, yeah, because and, like for example. Yeah. VCs would hate what I'm doing, right? Because, like, no doubt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like JB, it's insane, right? You're working. You're supervising. In fact, five to seven projects. One is VLC on Android in Java. One is in Go. One is in uh, in in basically JavaScript. The two others are in C. Some are writing assembly code for for um, for for uh, decoders and. And some people, we're deploying consulting for, for streamers, people deploying FFmpeg and so on. Uh, and I'm also working on some stuff that basically is a recommendation engine and a, a video shadow. And they're just like, you know, you need to focus on one thing. And I, I fully agree with them. The thing is, all this goes inside the same direction. And that is the big picture they usually don't see. I understand that because it's more complex and there is a higher risk. So the people are less interested in, in, in investing. But like the stuff, like the 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 recommendation part is basically server-side VLC, right? Like. I could play anything now. What should I play? And it's going to be integrated in VLC, which is like your VLC account. And, and like the, the the Shazam video is because I need to be able to say, well, I've been watching that. What do you think? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And the stuff I'm doing on, on the VLC GS is basically uh, I need to get VLC to actually go on, and that will go through the web, whether we like it or not. And same for the sandboxing, right? There is probably 300 million people using regularly VLC on their desktop, and their security is shit because we are just like a bunch, a small team. And also because we are already, and we are going to be more and more a security target because people now install on their machine an Office Suite, a web browser, an image viewer, and a video player, right? And the, the, the first two are very secure. The last ones are not. And like VLC, with all the libraries, we demux and, and decode and pass so many formats. They are hundreds of thousands of security issues. So all that goes into the same direction. Most of it is going to be open source. Some of it might not because, well, you know, if that's a way to get money and get good engineers to work on the right and fun project and not uh, Uber for tombstones or Uber for (laughs) wheat delivery or like, like, you know, I mean great, but like i want to do like uh like actual technical innovation and not business model innovation what i thought those sounded dumb <laughs> well actually you you know uber for tomstone could actually work <laughs> i think the other one might might work
1: a little better um, that sounds like a big vision i like it yeah it sounds like you've uh, you got your work cut out for you yeah and actually on, on that note you've talked about a ton of as you said really cool things to work on um Get your hands dirty, like so. How do people get involved? How do people? Yeah. What if I've got a spare afternoon one Sunday?
0: Well, th- the first thing is actually report bugs. Like this is the first thing I ask for people to actually report bugs because they're just like, oh, you know, VLC doesn't play this file for six months. I'm just like, did you think about reporting this bug? And they're just like, no, but I thought you knew. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I support like. Millions of different types of files. If you have an issue, report that. The second thing is actually come compile VLC and work on the small features that you actually care about. Like, I did the Reddit ask me anything last like 15, two weeks ago, and people were saying, Oh, I need that. And those are like tiny features. And they're just like, Oh, that would solve my life. And I'm just like, You know, coding that would take half a day. And then if you care more, then you can start actually working on VLC on the security part, the JavaScript part, or Actually, go down to, to codecs and coders. We are going to have a, a lot of need for an a- correct open source AV1 encoder in the next year. How do we get to that, right? There are also projects around v- VideoLAN because, in my opinion, VideoLAN is just like the larger open source multimedia community. And VideoLAN today is not only about VLC. We are merging the Matroska nonprofit into the VideoLAN nonprofit. Uh, and people ask me, well, would you host M Player? Yeah, sure. Like, my competition is not a player. My competition is real player or BS player or all those people who still it's fine, it's okay to run non-open source codec packs on their machines. There are also other projects than VLC and stuff that are very interesting on a lower level. There is a lot of stuff to do on HDR. Today, HDR is very bad. You have no clue uh, about, about quality. And, like, quality of video encoding is a very big topic. And until... Last year we had always the same PSNR and SSIM uh, until Netflix came with VMAF, which has great points but also like weak points. Like, why do we care about video quality only now? Right. So there are many projects around uh, video that should be done as open source projects, and VideoLine is probably one of the right place to actually um, join
1: and, and do other projects around. This this was an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. For thanks very mind. much. Yeah. Thanks for coming in, JB. <laughs> all right. Thanks everyone. See you next time. That's all we have for today. But as always, we'd love to hear what you thought, even if you disagree. So please reach out on Twitter at demuxed. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders.